Howdy. Welcome back to the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast for our next episode. Today I'd like to talk a bit about homestead fencing options. Specifically, I would like to focus on fencing options that are more or less unconventional. Fences that can be constructed with little to no purchase materials and that make use of what a homesteader may have plentiful supply of. Um, Before we move on to the topic, a quick bit of housekeeping to do. First and foremost, I'd like to let you know that you can find the podcast on a number of platforms now. The newest addition is iHeartRadio, but you can also find us on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and of course on our own website. Our website will be linked to in the show notes, of course, but I'll read it off for here, here for those of you who aren't able to look at the notes right now. The webpage is www.cackleberryfg.wixsite.com forward slash yoag. Now, it's a bit clunky with that Wix site bit in there, but for the time being, that is the URL until the podcast is appropriately monetized, uh, at which point it'll probably get its own URL at yoag something or other instead of the whole Cackleberry bit being in there as well. Uh, Secondly, I would like to remind everyone that if you would like to get on the show, you can fill out a form on our website at the bottom of the page, and we can get you on there. I'd love to talk to anybody uh, involved in Wyoming agriculture at all, you know, from apiary management to if somebody runs a zoo. I don't know. Whatever you got. Um, Let's see. I'm doing a little bit of an evening recording here. We're talking about... uh, course the unconventional fencing this is kind of a spin-off of my blog post that I recently published so hopefully uh, there's enough new content in here for you to enjoy it if you've read that and if you haven't you know it might pique your interest uh, another thing that I'd like to touch on in housekeeping I am looking for some intro section music maybe some ending music um, so if you happen to have a song that is really Wyoming to you or that you think would fit the podcast well, I would definitely be interested in finding it. I found one that I kind of like. Let me pause the show here shortly. I'll go ahead and find that just to name it off. All right, so anyway, uh, that track was called Wild Wyoming by Two Tracks, and I've contacted them about using it on the show, um, rather hoping that you know, they're okay with it being the intro segment. I kind of like it. I'm going to go ahead and play it here for you. Uh, and I'll link to it in the show notes. You can find it on YouTube. It's only got like 900 views on YouTube. So definitely go check them out. They do have their own website as well. Um, and again, that is Wild Wyoming by Two Tracks. Here it is. Show me the feeling
So just for uh, reference there, that was the song I'm thinking about. I don't know if I'll play the whole thing. It's about three and a half minutes. Uh, but a little section might be pretty nice. And <clears throat> I think it's a good intro section for a podcast. You know, it's got it's got a nice vibe to it. Something I can handle listening to a few seconds of uh, every episode. Definitely Wyoming themed, which is important for the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast, in my opinion. Um, but anyway... Now that we've got a little bit of housekeeping out of the way, let's just do a quick word from our sponsor. Did you know that you can support the podcast quickly and painlessly at no cost to you? It's as simple as clicking a mouse. When you do your shopping at Amazon, you can follow our link on the website to Amazon.com. From there, you do your shopping as normal, and it helps to support the show by paying me a small commission for your purchases. And it doesn't matter what you buy, either. It could be reloading supplies, or a wild gear cooler, or even that air fryer the wife's been wanting. Whatever it is, buy it through our link, and you'll help to finance more episodes of the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast. Now, on to the show. Today, I wanted to bring you a show all about homestead fencing. Now, there are a myriad of reasons why you might want more fencing on your homestead, from capturing snow, to redirecting wildlife, and keeping them critters in or out of a desired area, or just breaking the wind for your garden spaces. 
Fencing has plenty of uses for the homesteader and farmers of Wyoming. Likewise, there are hundreds of different ways to build a fence and multiple uh, different materials that one can use as well. Today we are going to cover a small sampling of those techniques and materials focusing mainly around wooden fence construction, particularly dealing with uh, natural wooden fence construction. And what do I mean by natural? I mean, I'm not necessarily referring to fake wood or anything when I say something isn't natural. Uh, what I mean by natural wooden fence construction is utilizing wood that might be growing in the woods around you or in you know suburban lots in your area. Uh, these are fences constructed predominantly of round wood, pole wood, uh, bushy material, shrubby material, etc. And you'll kind of get a gist of what I'm talking about as we get into the show here. Uh, as I mentioned a minute ago, I recently wrote and released a blog post about this, and you can find that on the blog website at www.cackleberryfg.wixsite.com forward slash blog. And I'll actually be referencing this blog post a few times today as I've compiled some pictures over there that illustrate some of this type of fencing, including some of my own debris fences that I've put up as a way to utilize what would otherwise be waste material from feeding tree hay and to protect pastures from some wind erosion while capturing soil and snow. There is also hope that this debris fence uh, will provide additional benefit such as microclimates in which I can hopefully get some perennial trees and shrubs established. In that blog post I referred to these types of fencing as stick fencing. So if you hear me use that term today, know that I'm using it as a general term to apply to this whole subtype of natural wooden fencing that I'm talking about. Um, I'm also using that blog post as a template to build this show. So some parts may sound a little familiar, but I, I think you'll find most of it unique enough to be worth a listen. Um, and certainly easier to listen to a podcast while you're driving or working than it is to read a blog. So, different format for different folks. <clears throat> now, lastly, I hope that today's episode uh, gives you some ideas. Perhaps it'll help you to construct some affordable fencing on your property or help you solve a problem that you've been stuck on on your homestead or farm. Uh, remember that a fence is basically just a barrier, physical or psychological, so it doesn't have to be complicated. And you can make a fence out of a variety of objects and materials. You don't have to follow this episode step by step. Uh, but, you know, there's enough variety in here to give you some ideas. Something to bounce off of. So why stick fencing? Well, for one, it is unique. And most aren't going to have any fences made up of sticks of any kind. For two, it can be cheaper, faster, or prettier than conventional fencing. Or even two of those three. And there can be additional benefits to this kind of fencing as well, such as the logistics of sourcing materials, the uh, wind and snow break that I mentioned, utilization of what would otherwise be waste material, wildlife habitat, protective microclimates for trees and other plants, um, holding livestock in a paddock or pasture. You know, there's a, a few different things. I think that's where this style of fencing really shines though, is in the ability to construct these sorts of fences without having to go to the hardware store or purchase materials. Um, if you're out in the boonies, 
a trip to the hardware store might be significantly expensive for you. It might be really hard to do. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, I don't know if any of you noticed, but this year it was a little tough to find some fencing materials at some of the hardware stores, you know. A lot of that stuff really requires um, supply chains to be up and running appropriately. So if we're sourcing a lot of our woody materials, such as cedar planks or posts or fur or whatever from a state such as Washington and Washington State decides they're going to shut everything down and not let anybody work, well, that can really significantly impact our supply chain. Um, furthermore, if, as you know, earlier this year we had, everybody decides to just uh, stay home and work on their gardens and their projects around the house, whether that's from no longer having a job to go to or state orders or personal choice, whatever the case may be, that certainly affects your supply chain as well because there's an increased demand that was unexpected. So some of these options could just be a little more uh, reliable options for some people and that you can source materials locally. So let's move on to some of those options. Um, the first design style that I want to share is debris fencing. Now this is by far the simplest design style to construct and has a few advantages. The first is, of course, the ease of construction. Second is the ease of deconstruction or removal in the event that you don't like where it was placed or you need to remove it for some other reason. Some examples of a reason might be that there's a fire coming and you don't want your property connected by a series of brush piles. So you may choose to move the brush into one big pile or just to break the connecting points um, along the brush lines to reduce the fire's ability to leap from fence line to fence line. You may also choose to remove the debris in the event that the trees you planted in it are actually growing and now need to be cleared for better management. Um, or perhaps you're simply renting your location and putting time and money into more permanent construction doesn't make sense. And when or if you move, you may uh, have a need to remove that debris from the landlord or the next tenant. Uh, this design probably provides the most wildlife habitat for small birds, rodents, rabbits, lizards, etc. Um, I've already seen on my debris fences a massive uptick in the number of small birds I see on the property. They're often using my debris fences as a shelter or for roosting, uh, which means they're depo depositing loads of phosphorus and nitrogen along those fence lines in the form of manure. And with any luck, there's some tree seeds in there as well, so maybe I'll get some sprouts going. Uh, in an environment such as mine, any kind of tree or shrub is highly welcomed. Now, repair and maintenance is also very simple with these style of fences, as throwing more debris onto the fence line to build it up or patch holes as the materials breaks down or blows away by wind or water is about all you need to do. I mean, you're just throwing debris in a pile, that's it. So with my fence being as small as they are and uh, wind as severe as it is here, I have noticed that some areas blow out during high wind events, uh, but repair is as simple as moving the branches back into place. Sometimes it's just a matter of placing them in such a way that they are too tangled to be blown apart. Um, you know, and I tend to build these, I grab the ends of a bundle of branches and drag them into place and just toss them there. So sometimes taking those sticks that blew out and just turning them one direction or the other can make all the difference in the world. <clears throat> 
And this style of fence uh, does seem to make an effective snow catchment and will also capture blowing organic matter as well as sand, silt, and seeds. Now this is the style I'm currently utilizing as a way of to make use of leftover limbs and sticks from all that tree hay I've been feeding. And for my use, I am simply building short fences that will capture snow and silt and will reduce wind erosion on my greatly exposed pasture. And actually, since our area is just a couple of droughts away from becoming sand dunes, there is a lot, and I really do mean a lot, of soil and sand that can be seen blowing away from roads and neighbors' pastures during windstorms. So this tells me that there is a resource to be utilized by capturing and protecting that soil. I do see uh, sand and soil accumulation in a lot of different places around my property. Um, for instance, my pile of leaf bags from collecting leaf bags over the fall. I pulled a leaf bag out of there today for compost and uh, there was like two inches, three inches of sand. Uh, the bag had practically been buried. I actually had to like dig it out. So, you know, anywhere where the wind slows down enough after these exposed areas around me, uh, there's just a big accumulation of sand and organic matter. I also see this um, on the downwind side of a lot of the fences around here. Uh, most of the fences here are barbed wire or they're woven wire or something of the sort. And they don't necessarily catch a lot on their own, but what they do is they catch tumbleweeds. And the tumbleweeds essentially create debris fencing. And that debris fencing from the tumbleweed captures a lot of snow and sand and such. And so on the downhill side of a lot of these fences in this area, you'll see a rise of soil. Um, and some of it's quite substantial. There's, there's fence lines in this neighborhood that have practically been buried over the years. And, uh, and that just shows you how much sand and silt you can accumulate just by putting something in the way of all this wind. <clears throat> um, so for me, these short fences do allow me to use my limited amount of material to define paddocked areas and capture snow across a larger area of the farm, as opposed to having one large fence that would only capture a large quantity of water and soil on one area. Uh, I believe that small spread out fences will pose less of a fire hazard as well. Uh, my thinking is that a massive pile of debris is just a bonfire waiting to happen, whereas a bunch of small lines of debris, yes, they would be a uh, fire hazard. However, if they do catch, it would be more akin to sagebrush burning than, say, a massive bonfire, you know, um, which could make all the difference in the world at, at saving the property downwind. Now, in my context, I have a lot of wind-exposed open prairie that I'm piling the fences on. So for me, it's pretty simple to simply drag wherever I need to and drop my material. But if one were in a more wooded or hilly environment, it may actually make sense to build larger piles that were closer to the harvest site, as moving these bundles of sticks around such a property could prove inefficient at best, if not a complete pain in the ass. Uh, the first debris fence that I constructed was laid over a row of sunchokes that were planted the year before last. Now this last summer, uh, which was their first year technically growing, even with occasional watering, these sunchokes really struggled. Despite internet claims that sunchokes would take over the whole damn farm, 
these stubborn plants barely manage to persist in the dry, sandy soil when exposed to constant wind and strong sun all day. Now my hope is that this debris fence will provide some dappled shade to the bed throughout the day, uh, reduce wind exposure, and if both of those things result in the sun chokes growing tall enough, it will provide some structural support to prevent the wind from blowing the sun chokes over, um, which you know, in most cases, a little bit of blowing wouldn't be an issue, but if it happens to blow strong enough to, say, snap a stem during a dry period, uh, that could prevent the tops of the plants from growing very well. So, anyway, uh, you know, in addition to that, having that support and keeping a taller plant is going to provide more of a microclimate downwind of those sun chokes if they get established well. Now I've already seen some sand and soil accumulation in this fence and due to its location relative to all my tree hay, uh, there's some leaves and other organic matter that have accumulated here as well. So I'm hopeful, hopeful that this was a good design move. Um, I really am, yeah, I'm kind of thinking this is a good move. I, I think it'll work well. Time will tell, of course. Um, but one thing that I've seen over and over again the last couple of years is, you know, anybody that's lived in Wyoming or a highly windy environment like this will tell you that the wind is the number one factor you have to consider because it just dries everything out. Um, so having that there to reduce the wind, I think is definitely beneficial. And then that dappled shade for small plants, I think will be very helpful. I saw time and time again this year uh, where plants in the morning were perfectly happy getting sunlight. By mid-afternoon, uh, they just couldn't handle it anymore. There's too much wind, too much hot direct sun. And so having a little bit of dappled shade from, you know, even just a twig uh, in six different directions, I think that could do a lot to help reduce sun exposure. I just don't see the need for even quote-unquote full sun plants to get all of the sun that Wyoming prairies have to offer. So anyway, um, enough about why I think it's a good idea. You know, next year hopefully we'll have a good podcast episode showing exactly how good of an idea it was. Now inside this debris fence I've also placed a few small transplants of tree species. Uh, hoping that the protected environment will assist in their survival come spring. These two trees are just ones that I picked up uh, doing a job site back in November. Um, so not the most ideal time of year to transplant, not the worst. A little bit late in the fall, you know, I'd probably prefer to do things in say October, uh, maybe September, you know, right after they go dormant. But hopefully they'll do okay. Um, providing that they actually survived, I do think that being in the debris fence will help them uh, to continue surviving for the reasons mentioned above uh, as far as the sun choke is considered, but when you get into these trees, you know, there's definitely a, a risk of animals eating them, um, and so it'll be interesting to see whether this debris fence hinders or harms that in any way by, you know, providing uh, more access for animals like bunnies to chew it, or if it helps and assists the tree by preventing, say, a deer um, or a sheep from eating it all the way to the ground or something. Uh, I don't know. It, time will tell. That's one of those things I just won't know until I know, but 
I'm hoping that it will help with that as well. Um, I did uh, I did skip a sentence there, so I'm just going to go ahead and read that. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, what I do with these episodes is I write myself out a little bit of a, uh, an, I don't know, a prompting screen, and it helps me stay on track, uh, even though I still ramble a little bit, you know, at least I'm, I'm somewhat on point. So anyway, uh, this fence is directly downwind from the driveway and has thus far shown promising for snow capture. Uh, all of my debris fences, in fact, have captured quite a bit of snow so far. I did include some photos of my debris fencing in the blog post, but you can also see examples of debris fencing on Pinterest or by checking out one of my favorite YouTube channels, Edible Acres, and I'll link to that video specifically uh, in the show notes. Now, on this video, he claims, now well, maybe it wasn't this video, but one of his videos, I watched so many of them, uh, he, was, he was claiming that the debris fence was helping to redirect deer traffic to where it is more desirable. Uh, the fence didn't seem to be stopping deer from crossing, but the deer are simply finding it easier to move around the fence in most cases. So he's able to plant some of his more uh, deer sensitive trees in areas that don't get as high of traffic because of his refencing. Now I'm already seeing some change in wildlife corridors on my own place as the antelope tracks on the snow have moved around a bit over the last few days and weeks as I've slowly been placing the sticks and rows. Uh, you know, the, I don't know how significant that is as of yet, but there's definitely been some change there. So it does kind of illustrate that these debris fences can certainly help you to redirect wildlife traffic and therefore wildlife pressure. Um, FYI, he calls his debris fence a woven wall, uh, but I'm going to call it a debris fence because a woven wall or fence will mean something entirely different in this uh, episode. So just for the sake of clarity, in this episode, I'm considering his a debris fence. Uh, one more advantage to this style before we move on. Over time, you can convert these fences into hugel mounds or hugel culture beds for plant growth if you so desire. That's another idea I got from this channel. Um, as I've seen Sean form hugel culture beds over time by simply piling debris in a given spot to sketch the bed out and filling it in with smaller organic matter and soil over time. Uh, Sean's really good about, you know, chipping away at certain tasks, and I, I don't know how he he does it, um, but he, he, he does it a lot better than me, I tell you that. I definitely see some progress being made on his property, but maybe that's because his is recorded and mine's in my memory. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, uh, this style of fence is perhaps the best fit for a lazy person, and there is little, if any, thought that must go into construction of the fence. And if the fence doesn't receive any upkeep, it simply breaks down into soil, and I just don't think it'll look any more rough or unkempt than it did the day it was installed, you know? I mean, you might have some dry rotting on your sticks or something, but it's a debris fence. It's gonna look like debris until it becomes soil. So let's talk a bit about ways you might use this type of fence. And the first thing that comes to mind is snow fence. If your main intent and purpose is to simply capture snow 
in a given area for greater water harvesting capabilities or to prevent snow from accumulating in another area such as a roadway, a pathway, or home entrance, this type of fence is a good fit. Uh, compared to purchasing rolls of wire and slat fencing or constructing a framed snow fence, this is a much more cost-effective method of capturing snow. All it takes is piling of excess branches and other organic debris. It's really not complicated. Um, in practice, you could utilize any debris you had laying around, but I really wouldn't recommend using trash or other toxic materials for this purpose. You know, I, I'm just using sticks and twigs and such. But, I mean, compared to buying dimensional lumber um, or rolls of snow fencing, you know, this is a, a much more economical way to capture snow. I would definitely recommend it if that's the only thing that you have in mind, um, especially if you happen to be out in the boonies. Now, the second is um, if you're in a situation where you don't want to take the time or invest the money or effort into actually constructing any kind of fence, there may be a myriad of reasons why you're in this position. Uh, but regardless, this seems to be the most effortless fence to build so it can fit the bill um, if you happen to be in such a situation. Now, third, if you don't care too much about when the fence is done or particular dimensions, this style of fence lends itself very well to simply adding to it as needed or as more material becomes available. And there isn't any particular need to have the whole thing done at once as it's not a fence that's going to show wear and tear the same way a picket fence might. Um, you might not want to like, you know, do patchwork on a picket fence because your fence would really show it. You know, you'd have a new section here, an older section here, a halfway section here, a decrepit and falling apart section over there, and it just wouldn't look that sharp. A debris fence, it really doesn't matter. It's a pile of debris, so if, you know, that section's dry rotted and that section's half to soil and this section's brand new, it, it doesn't really matter a whole lot. Um, now the fourth is wildlife. Uh, if wildlife is particularly important to you, this does provide an awful lot of habitat, uh, particularly for for prey animals such as bunnies and small birds. And that could in turn help to relieve some predator pressure from your livestock by offering an alternative uh, to your small livestock. You know, I mean, I had an incident a couple years ago where I lost about 100 chickens in a couple of days to a swift fox. And I've heard of a lot of pasture poultry producers mitigating some predator pressure by simply providing a lot of bunny habitat uh, if it's easier to catch a bunny and eat it, why mess with the chicken pen? That's the thinking, anyway. Uh, fifth, hold on. Ah, need to get a drink there. Alright, now, uh, fifth, if you don't have access to large, straight pieces that can be turned into steaks or anything similar, this style doesn't really require any certain size, shape, or species of wood, and can be built with just about anything you have lying about. A uh, little bonus here, if you're sitting on a bunch of stones, this method requires no digging or breaking of ground and can be laid on pretty much anything. So for properties that are down to the bedrock or just a complete pain in the ass to dig, uh, this is a good option because you're just putting sticks on the ground. That's it. Alright, so this leads us into a great segue on why you might not want to utilize debris fencing. Uh, firstly, I would not recommend this style of fencing if you live in an urban or suburban environment. 
pretty sure you would receive a significant number of complaints from someone or another. There's a lot of Karens out there these days. Well, I suppose you could put a couple disposable masks on the fence and you might just get by. <laughs> now second, if uh, you yourself or your spouse find this style of fence to be ugly as sin and you just can't stand the look of them, that would be sufficient reason to find another design. Uh, there's nothing wrong with, you know, considering your own visual pleasure in a design aspect. Uh, furthermore, if you have limited space, this might not be a great design for you as it does have a, doesn't have a very conservative footprint. To get a significant height, you would also have to add a significant width. Just because, again, all you're doing is piling sticks. There's not really much for support structure. So if you want a fence that's, say, 10 feet tall, it might be 10 or more feet wide, too. Um, as alluded to earlier, I feel like all the styles I'll be discussing, of all of them anyway, this is the style most likely to present a fire hazard, particularly if constructed predominantly of pine or another high resin species. So for those of us in Wyoming or other fire-prone environments, caution is definitely advised in the implementation of this type of fencing. Uh, definitely not a fence I would put up right next to the house and, you know, just be smart about it. Don't go putting it somewhere where it's going to cause you a big fire problem. Alright, um, so for the next style I would like to discuss today, a modified debris fence or a sandwich debris fence. Much like a basic debris fence, you can construct this one with sticks of varying sizes, lengths, and shapes. The straightness is slightly more advantageous with this design. Uh, it can be worked around if you have some oddly shaped branches. It's, you know, it's not really required that they all be straight. Now, the basic idea here is to either drive stakes or uprights into the ground every so often to outline your fence on both sides with your desired width, or to build some kind of frame with, say, hardware cloth or chicken wire or something. Um, basically making two parallel rows of stakes or an outline for the planned fence. After you've done this, you just fill the space in with debris, and that's pretty much it. You'll see some renditions of this fence built along uh, seashores often, or places where people are trying to demonstrate exactly how much litter they're finding. A lot of people will build fences, uh, debris fences with chicken wire or something, and they'll fill the inside with the trash laying around and you know that's one way to use trash if you're you know not able to really haul it off I guess but I'm really talking about using this uh, for small sticks and limbs and trimming and such so you'd be doing something more akin to the wooden stakes uh, running parallel and then just laying all your uh, your debris within that now, the posts can be formed with straight limbs, uh, wooden stakes, purchased roundwood stakes, or rebar, uh, whatever else you can come up with, but the basic premise remains the same. You're creating pole walls or boundaries to pile your debris within. This style would have many of the benefits of a basic debris fence, but would also look a little more pleasing to the eye and take up less of a footprint. You can easily build a fence to be a bit taller with this method, and if large enough, this would likely work well to keep livestock in a given area. Personally, I rather like this style. Other than the need for the straight pieces for your poles, it looks like you could put together a lot of fence with little in the way of purchase materials. 
Um, it can provide a bit larger of a microclimate when built taller as well, and that's an advantage compared to the basic debris fence. This fence may not have to be built strong enough to physically hold back animals, as blocking their view of the next paddock may provide enough of a psychological barrier to prevent them from testing the fence. And that's a may. I mean, there's really no guarantee there. Um, you know, if it was built that dense, maybe it'd be strong enough if they did test it. I don't know. Uh, I guess it depends on how you make your fence. Uh, if you utilize Russian olive, rose, locust, or some other thorny species when building these sorts of fences, uh, that might also help you in containing livestock or from stopping those damn two-legged rats from scaling your wall. Anyway, uh, so it could be utilized for security purpose. Um, I'm afraid I have no photos of this type of fence for my own operation, so when you visit the blog, I've simply shared some photos from Pinterest. And in fact, I've done that with a lot of these styles we're talking about today, because I simply haven't built many of these kinds of fences myself as of yet. Now, some reason you might choose this style over another. Um, it does have a bit more labor up front in its creation, as you have to drive stakes and posts. But after those are in, this fence can be as passive or active as you like. Uh, much like a debris fence, you may have a lot of brushy material that you'd like to utilize, and this will work well for disposing of that in a useful way. Now, you, if you like some aspects of the debris fence, but you want to have a fence that looks a bit better and takes up less space uh, on the ground, and in the event of a fire would probably be a little bit more contained, um, this would be a better option as well. You might want to go with this route if you want to utilize your debris fence as a trellis because the straighter and taller form of a modified debris fence might work better than a typical debris fence would. I'm kind of thinking, you know, depending on the way you built it, a typical debris fence would probably let something like hops or grapes just crawl all over the place and it might be kind of difficult to harvest. Uh, but, you know, a, a modified debris fence that's a little straighter might help keep your crops a little easier to manage. Uh, if you want to utilize the debris fence style, but you have livestock that you'd like to keep in or out of an area, this would be a little better option as well. Some reasons why you might not want a modified debris fence, uh, if you don't have that much material to use up, it may be better to invest a little more time and energy to make an effective barrier with less materials. If you're in a fire prone area, uh, this is still an unlit bonfire laid out in rows. You just can't really get around that with the debris. You know, if you're in a really moist environment, like maybe up in northern Montana or uh, over in Washington State or, you know, somewhere where it's it's good and moist, yeah, a debris fence probably isn't much of a fire hazard, but around, around most of Wyoming, you're going to find that a debris fence is definitely a fire hazard, and you got to kind of work with it as is. Now, if you live in an HOA or an area prone to nosy neighbors that like to complain to the code enforcement officer, uh, this might not meet their idea of acceptable. It kind of depends on who they are, I suppose, and how it's built, but just because you or I think it looks good doesn't mean the Karens do. Now, if you already have an overabundance of small prey animals, such as rabbits or small birds, uh, this would probably just create more habitat for them, and so if you have already have some problems with those animals, it's probably just going to create more. Alright, so 
That's two little options out of the way. Let's move on to the next one. The next one you might know as junk pole fencing. Basically replacing pickets with small round wood that might not otherwise be of much use for anything. Thus the name junk pole. Uh, this all must be similar to sandwich debris style fencing, but instead of simply piling debris, you'll be cutting and selecting limbs to form a wall of vertical sticks neatly sandwiched between a simple frame or attached to it in some way. And you can read a bit more about this style of fencing on Paul Wheaton's Permi forums here. Um, and by here, I mean I'm going to link to that, but you know, go to permies.com and search up uh, junk pole fence you'll find it pretty quick. Um, Alright, um, anyway, from my little description here you can probably see that this has a footprint much more akin to conventional picket fencing that you might see in suburbia. And if you're in a forest-like environment, particularly one with a lot of lodgepole pine saplings or aspen or something of the sort, uh, such as you might see in much of Wyoming, this can be a price-effective option for you. This link uh, goes to a forum all about them, but there's a lot of variation on this design to be found across the web, and I think you could do with pretty much any straight land or straight trunk species you have a lot of. If you've built any kind of picket fence before, this is going to be really similar. You're really just kind of making rails, putting the pickets on there in the form of uh, junk poles, and sometimes, you know, you'll be attaching a, a rail on the other side to sandwich it in. Sometimes you'll be lashing them or using nails, whatever you got on hand. Um, but you can put your own little twist on it as well. Uh, if you go over to the blog that I wrote, um, you'll see that there's a picture of one where they used large logs laid horizontally on top of each other and just used the post to keep them stacked vertically and sandwiched together. Uh, you can extrapolate a little further on this as well and you can use other materials, you know, in the debris fencing we were talking about, uh, people using trash in their debris fencing. Well, I've also seen a version of what you might call junk pole fencing done with thatch. So taking bundles of grass to make a fence. Uh, this would work particularly well with tall grass varieties like miscanthus or some other thatch grass that grows well in your area. I know there's other parts of the world where thatch is grown quite extensively. In Wyoming, it'd be a hassle to make thatch out of six-inch grass, but, you know, some of you are a little more lucky. <laughs> um, anyway, next style I'd like to discuss is what I refer to in the blog as leaning fence. Um, I've also heard to, heard to it uh, referred as Scandinavian fencing. To me, this seems pretty material conscious as you just have pairs of upright stakes every so often and by leaning the poles or pickets if you will uh, you can build a pretty tight fence without using a whole hell of a lot of lumber you know if you were stacking them all up vertically you'd have to go pretty close to each other and use quite a bit of lumber to get a good tight fence um, by leaning them over like this you know you can kind of cover the length of the fence with a pretty tight spacing but not necessarily use as much wood as you would uh, would if you would if they were vertical <laughs> um, but pretty basic construction definitely a lot of stakes in this design so perhaps not the best pick for extremely rocky sites that can't be dug joinery seems to be done with lashing or nails and screws and in some cases, I've seen it done with uh, weaving some pliable woody material, such as willow, um, to lash the, the wood where you want it. But, you know, you basically you do your poles, and then when you're leaning them, you put the bottom end, uh, 
you know, at uh, however far away from the last one you want. Uh, and if it's your first one, you're going to put that, you know, right in the, in the middle of your pair of stakes or whatever. And then you just lean it over to your desired angle. Uh, a lot of them are leaning over to the next stake, but, you know, it, it's a simple design um, system. So some reasons you might want to go with Scandinavian fencing. Uh, it's a small footprint for the coverage height. It's easy to make a tight fence that'll keep the livestock in. It's a relatively attractive fence style. You have straight roundwood lumber to use, uh, such as oak or pine, and then this could be a good pick for you. Uh, it probably would be pretty tough to do if you had a bunch of brushy material. If you need to keep small livestock in, such as sheep, this may maybe work for goats, but well, they're goats, so no promises. Uh, now, some reasons why you might not want this kind of fence. As mentioned uh, earlier, if you have some rocky soil or don't have a good way to install your posts, you may want to find another option. If you don't have ready access to a decent amount of reasonably sized roundwood lumber or uh, dimensional lumber, this can cost quite a bit to build, I would think, by the time you buy all that lumber. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe it's less than a picket fence, I don't know. Um, I haven't ever priced one out, to be honest with you. But if you need a windbreak, this fence seems like it would work really well as a snow fence to me, but I don't know that I would duck behind it in a Wyoming wind. Maybe I'm wrong, I have been before, but uh, it just seems to me like if you're cold and you're trying to get out of the wind, this is not going to help you much. Uh, the next thing I'd like to talk about is buck rail fencing. And if you're anywhere in the Rocky Mountains, you might be familiar with these. I tend to see them all over the place, especially up in the mountains where there's plentiful pine to make them with, and ranchers have been around a time or two. Now, there are a couple ways to make a buck rail fence, but I'm going to briefly discuss two of them here. The first one that I found and ran across uh, kind of looks like anti-tank um, barricades from World War II. Basically, you take two like four-ish foot logs and you make an X with them uh, right in the middle of each one. And then you take a longer log, say 10, 12 feet or whatever, and you attach one end to the foot of your X and lean it over and attach it to the rested end and attach it to the top crotch of the next X in your line. Uh, rinse, wash, repeat, and you have yourself a simple style of buck rail fence. Now the next style of buck rail is the one that I've seen all over the state, from Labarge Creek to the Big Horns and everywhere uh, that they were once practical to build, and sometimes in places where they probably cost a lot of constru to construct by the time you hold down all the material. Um, I think some people just kind of like this style. But with this style, you make uh, a series of X's, basically, uh, as discussed before. But at this point, the uh, crossing of the poles is going to be a little closer to the top instead of attaching the, the cross members in the center. Um, you're going to be, you know, about three quarters of the way up each log is where you're going to attach it. So it's going to kind of, instead of looking like an X, it might look a little more like the uh, A in the popular anarchy symbol without the cross member or the circle around it, you know, um, if that makes sense. But then from there, you're simply attaching rails to these A's or X's, what have you, in a horizontal fashion at approximately the same height uh, on each cross. Uh, 
Uh, typically I'm seeing these constructed with three, sometimes four rails to each section, and they seem sufficient to keep cattle, uh, but they allow dogs and wildlife to cross with ease. So pretty simple fence to construct. Uh, but here's a few reasons why it might be a good fit for you. If you're looking to block livestock or traffic or simply mark a property boundary, these can work well. If you have a pine forest handy or another source of straight roundwood, uh, if you have hard, rocky, or frozen soils, these can be, they're built on top of the soil. They're not really installed in anything. So buckrail is definitely good for these sorts of environments. Uh, if you happen to just enjoy the rustic look and it speaks to the cowboy in you, that's a good pick. It's not extremely prone to fire damage, uh, from what I can tell. I've seen some fires go through and, you know, sometimes they burn a few sections, sometimes they don't. Uh, but it's pretty easy to clear the vegetation around it. You know, you can do that with a scythe, a flail mower, a weed eater. Uh, imagine you could probably do it with sheep or something that's a little smaller. Um, but why would it be a poor choice? Now, if you're looking for snow fencing, buck rails not really the best choice. Uh, if you live in the plains and acquiring rails could be cost prohibitive, you might be better off going with a different option. If you're dealing with small livestock, it probably won't keep them in without some significant modifications. And it's also not going to provide much of a windbreak or microclimate for your critters or your plants or your home. Uh, that long lumber could also be better utilized for other projects, so if you don't have an abundance of lumber, uh, taking that, those long straight pieces and, and using them for something a little more valuable than a fence uh, can be a good pick sometimes. Uh, this brings us on to a similar style to buck rail that I call zigzag fencing or snake rail fencing. This is built by forming a zigzag with horizontal rails, uh, except one course will be your zig and the next will be your zag. So each rail rests on each end of the rails beneath it. Um, for instance, let's say your rails are 10 feet long, you, uh, you know, would place them in such a way that there is a space of approximately nine and a half feet between each end of the rail so that the next course would rest on top of the rails beneath it by a few inches. Now, oftentimes the rails may be split rails um, to make them a little more square and stable and to get a little more fence out of each log as on the whole it will use up more materials than a typical buck rail fence might. Um, but if you're taking a log and you're quartering it out, you know, that gives you a four high that you can go basically out of each log. So you can definitely stretch it a little bit by doing that. Now this fence could be a good option if buck rail would be a good option for you if you had cows, but you in fact have sheep or another small livestock. Um, just the fact that it can be built a little tighter. Now this fence may also prove effective at keeping dogs in or out of an area if they can't jump over it or if they're trying to respect it. Uh, if you got chihuahuas, good luck dude, but I'd imagine it'd keep you know a border collie in the yard or something. Um, this fence might also prove effective at um, snow fence and at least semi-effective as a windbreak. It does have a certain rustic appeal to it and it could be considered a good option for looks and given its zigzag shape it could be built in the woods without as much tree removal as you could simply build it around existing trees by zigging or zagging as it were around each tree. Um, now this fence may be a poor choice if you have a shortage of lumber or fine lumber to be cost prohibitive 
and it won't do the best job of keeping pests out of the garden if you're looking for garden fencing. You know, if you build it big enough, uh, it'd probably be okay for keeping deer out, but I wouldn't expect this to keep rabbits out or something. Now, even though each log is only a few inches thick, it can take up a significant footprint as it zigs and zags across the landscape because it's not a straight line. So, you know, you might need a flat area that's, say, 10 feet across or something to make a, a zigzag fence. Um, anyway. <clears throat> the next style I would like to touch on is framed fencing. Now, this is simple fence that is mostly for keeping people or large animals corralled and wouldn't likely be very effective at holding in livestock. However, it can definitely serve an ornamental purpose, and that seems to be where it's a little more common. Uh, for this one, you would essentially be building a cross brace section like you would at the corner of a barbed wire fence and then repeating the pattern. So two uprights with a horizontal rail of desired height, and then two poles to form an X as bracing within your newly created square. Repeat this pattern down the length of the fence, and pretty simple process to create a two-dimensional fence for a garden or yard. Now the great thing about this is that it doesn't take very much construction skill or experience, and you can even modify it uh, to make it more simple by simply doing more horizontal rails and skipping the cross bracing altogether. Uh, the style of fencing can also be done by installing posts and using naturally shaped limbs to form the rest of the framing for natural or custom look. Um, where, you know, you might want something a little more ornamental. I've definitely seen fences like this, uh, particularly with the cross railing and that's, you know, really simple, um, being used to keep, like, horses in place or cattle, some of your larger animals that'll respect the fence well. Uh, Alright, so a few reasons why two-dimensional frame fences might be good. Uh, they can be aesthetically pleasing when done right. They don't require tremendous skill to construct and can be as simple or complicated as you like. They can provide a simple post system for electrified fencing to be installed on. And yeah, you can do that with a lot of these options, um, but I see a lot of a lot of fences don't like that uh, with these sorts of fences, and then you could, you know, modify it and turn it into a barbed wire fence or whatever you end up deciding you want to do, but um, definitely leaves some room for modification here. Now, these would l most likely pass uh, most of your HOA requirements. I've definitely heard of some hellish HOAs where they have very strict rules on what your fence might look like. Honestly, I never understood why the hell anybody would want to live in an HOA, but teach their own, I guess. Uh, they have a small footprint on the landscape, so to get, you know, a four to six foot high fence, you don't necessarily have to go six feet wide. You can just go one dimension wide of your lumber. Now, on the flip side, they may not be the best choice for rocky soils. As with any fence that requires driving posts, rocky terrain presents a significant challenge in this fence's construction, so you might be wanting to look at other design options and they likely won't be the best snow fence or windbreak option. Uh, they may or may not work for keeping small livestock in. You know, all that kind of depends on your design. If you're, if you're uh, filling it in with natural shapes, uh, branches and such, as I was discussing earlier, it would definitely be possible to make one that would work for both of those options. But, you know, in, in most applications, not going to be the best option for either of those things.
but anyway, you know, that would be one of your selections there. So next we're going to move on. There's firewood fencing or cordwood fencing. Uh, what I like about this style of fencing is that it can be temporary or permanent depending on your context. For instance, I have some dry stack cordwood fencing that I'm using to provide winter windbreak for the chicken yard. Now in my case, there's no rack or railing system to maintain a straight or ornamental look, and instead I'm simply placing my firewood that I already have to store somewhere in a strategic location to yield additional benefits. Those benefits for me are keeping the chickens a little bit warmer, keeping them protected from the ripping winds that come around the house right there, uh, keeping a little more moisture in the compost piles that they're working, uh, and, and just overall making it a little more pleasant of an environment. Uh, furthermore, that particular fence happens to be in a area that's going to make it a little more efficient for me when it does come time for me to split that wood and use it in my own wood stacks for burning. So multifunctional fence there, that's, that's my favorite thing about cordwood fencing is it can provide a lot of different benefits. Uh, I also have some neighbors who have done something similar with their firewood. They use a rack system to keep it off the ground, dry and neatly stacked in a location that helps protect an area around their home from the harsh westerly winds. Now their particular home is nestled up in the rocks and it looks really pretty, but it's uh, on the west facing side of the hill, so it just gets hammered by wind. And having that firewood rack system there definitely seems to me, uh, as an onlooker, to be something that protects them a little bit. Now rack systems for firewood can help utilize space a little more efficiently, and they can make firewood stacks more stable, uh, which can enable you to build them a little taller. And they also provide a frame that keeps the firewood off the ground, and they can give you a frame to attach a small piece of roofing to for keeping the weather off the stack. Uh, I, you know, I definitely see a lot of advantages to having a frame for firewood. It's not something I have at this point, but you know, uh, a lot of improvements are incremental around here. So both of these examples that I've just given you are temporary fences, utilizing the existing element of stored firewood to protect an area from an undesirable element. Uh, such as the wind in our two cases. But cordwood can be used in a more permanent manner. In fact, some people even build homes out of cordwood. And cordwood does tend to shrink and expand with changes in moisture and temperature, so there's some considerations that need to be made for this behavior in the material. However, properly constructed cordwood can yield a beautiful and insulating fence or wall for a yard or home. Uh, cordwood can be used in a number of ways when we're talking about fencing. The easiest, in my opinion, is the way I just described, uh, that being the dry stack cordwood. But you can also use slabs of cordwood to make a thinner fence uh, that might be a couple inches thick or something. And in this case, you'll probably be building some kind of frame to hold the slabs up, uh, but you'll use less overall wood. Now, this style of fence could be a great option for anyone using firewood or producing firewood, uh, though there are often in colder climates, piles and piles of unused firewood that you might be able to take off other people's hands for a fence like this if they're no longer using it. So even if you don't currently burn firewood, it could be an option for the uh, adept scavenger. Now, if you don't have to use uh, more wood to frame the wall, 
If you have ready access to cob or any kind of mortar, you can simply lay the logs horizontally and use this mortar as a leveling agent between each course. And this would of course uh, be best if you don't plan to burn the wood, but just want to utilize it for fencing uh, because it's more of a permanent option. You're getting it, you know, dirty and and probably introducing some moisture to the wood, I'd imagine. Uh, another permanent rendition on cordwood walls can be done with a little investment of rods of some kind, uh, whether those be rebar, wood or metal dowels, or if you're just finding some good straight sticks to use. But the idea with this style of uh, firewood fencing is to utilize split wood as a fencing material. So for this one, it's going to be kind of similar to the zigzag fencing we talked about earlier with a straight line. You'll lay your uh, split logs along your fence lengthwise. And if you have, say, 16-inch logs, you'll space them out about 12 inches between them. Um, and then you'll drill holes for your dowels near the end of each log, say an inch in, and insert your vertical dowels. Now the next course is going to uh, get placed on top of those gaps in the firewood uh, with a couple inches of overlap and then of course you're going to have to drill holes so that they can slide down that dowel um, and so by alternating your firewood you can build yourself a vertical fence basically um, it does seem to me like this would take an awful lot of time to uh, you know get all those holes drilled and get the dowels to fit just right um, but you know it could be a, an attractive fence now, if I'm confusing you in my description here, again, I just tell you, go over to the blog, check out my post. I've got the photos on there. That's going to tell you kind of what I'm talking about over here and give you an idea how it's done. A lot of the times for me, just looking at an image is really all I need to be able to build it. And if that's the case for you, hopefully that'll clarify some things. Uh, some advantages of cordwood fencing on the whole is it can make an effective windbreak or sound barrier fence. You know, it's thick enough, it could definitely deaden some sound. Uh, it can be temporary or it can be permanent, and you can utilize firewood that you already have uh, that you need to store somewhere as a means for protecting an area. Firewood can be readily available in certain areas, which gives you the option to buy, produce, or even scavenge your own materials. It can be ornamental or rustic, depending on implementation. Uh, some designs, such as the split wood design, would make effective wind blocks. Um, you know, most of your cordwoods actually are going to work great for wind block. But your split wood one would probably uh, collect a lot more snow, I would think. It lets a little bit of wind pass through, but it uh, slows it down, redirects it enough that it would likely deposit a lot of snow and other material. Um, however, it might not be right in some situations, such as if you live in an area where cordwood is not readily available, or if it's prohibitively expensive to acquire. Um, I'm not entirely familiar with such areas, but I would imagine that somewhere like Phoenix, Arizona, where it's never really cold enough to have a fire, and there's just not really much for trees around, if you're trying to build a cordwood fence, you might be spending a lot of money. And that's just kind of my presumption there. Um, but in most of Wyoming, I think, you know, you could find this to be a good option for you, at least in a temporary sense. Now, if you have a limited supply of firewood, uh, say you're buying a quart or two at a time and you burn like a quart a month, um, and you're burning through that fencing, you know, it might not be 
a good option for you because that fence might not last long enough to provide the protection that you need during the worst times of year. Uh, temporary cordwood stacks utilizes fencing may not be effective means of keeping an animal in place and they could be prone to falling over or be rendered ineffective by livestock of any considerable size. So that's definitely something to consider. Alright, so uh, lastly, I want to talk about woven fencing. This style is perhaps the most ornamental of the fencing options we're going to cover today. And in fact, if done correctly, a woven fence can be downright gorgeous and really add to the beauty of a space. It can be built vertically and therefore takes up a small footprint in relationship to its height. It can make an effective windbreak, uh, but in high winds, I wouldn't be surprised if it was susceptible to damage. That's something I'd just have to discover for myself, uh, but it seems to me like it would act like a sail by allowing some of the wind through, but still capturing the force of the wind a little too much. Um, and this space between, and you know, that little bit of space and all that force, it, it can push the fence over. Um, that would be my speculation, but I haven't dealt with a woven fence, so I don't really know from experience. Uh, now the space between weaves can be manipulated to mitigate this for a variety of purposes. Uh, so you can either build it really, really tight so that it works more like a tight cedar picket fence where the wind will simply go over it, uh, or you can build it with intentional uh, open areas, if you will, to allow the wind to pass through where you want uh, so that it's not pushing on the fence too hard. Uh, woven walls can even be used to hold back garden soil and create raised beds. I've seen this done a lot. In fact, you'll see homesteaders doing this in areas where they have ready access to pliable woody material. They can also be plastered to create a wattle and daub earthen wall. And historically, some parts of the world have had many homes and shelters that used to be built in just this way. Now, one of the disadvantages here is the need to use pliable, small diameter woods, which means certain places may require purchase of materials. And unlike a typical picket fence, a woven fence typically won't have material available at the local hardware store, or at least not that I've seen. So sourcing would require a bit more careful and considered approach. Uh, some styles you may find it possible to construct with less pliable woods if you work the fence when the wood is still green. And of course, if you're able to steam bend wood, a whole lot of options become available at a cost, of course. Uh, however, if you have reliable access to pliable woody material, such as willow, hazel, or canes from raspberry or other species, this could be a beautiful fencing option for you. And it's relatively easy to design curvatures in a fence line with this style of build, as you're not using much in the way of rigid and straight materials. Uh, and this can be highly advantageous in dense woods or in certain use cases where straight edges might not be desired. Uh, building anything of beauty requires a certain amount of skill. And thus, if you're hiring for this fence, it likely won't be the cheapest option. Uh, but if you're doing it yourself, it could provide a fun and rewarding task. I've seen some photos of woven fence being used in all sorts of settings, and I'm almost always impressed with the finished results. If you check out my blog, you can see a variety of woven and wattle style fences that are very pretty. Uh, I shared a, a good bunch of photos at the end there. Now, some reasons why you might want to utilize this style of fencing. 
If you have ready access to willow or a similarly pliable and small stemmed wood, or if you love the look of woven fencing or require an attractive and functional fence in a suburban environment or something, uh, if you have plenty of stakes or posts to use, or if you want to keep small creatures or livestock contained in or out of a certain area, um, or if you need effective wind blocking, snow capture, or soil retention, woven fencing can make effective privacy fencing as well. Uh, so there's, you know, there's a lot of advantages to it. Now this fencing might not be ideal for everyone. Uh, for instance, if you don't have access to pliable wood such as willow, you know, it's kind of hard to build a woven fence um, with hard woods. There has uh, definitely been some renditions on woven fence done with dimensional lumber. I see a lot of one bys used to make woven fence. Um, but it's, it's not, it's definitely not the same look as natural woven fence like something made of willow or dogwood. Now it may not be a good option for you if you have rocky soils. Um, now, there might be some options for building on a board or something, but I really struggle to see this working well on extremely rocky soils that have high wind exposure. If you're not able to drive those posts on the ground, that's going to cause you a lot of problems as far as uh, structural integrity of a fence. Uh, such as willow or woven fence. And if you want a fence that lasts forever, uh, not all of these are gonna be great options, but this one's probably not gonna be the best. Um, from what I've heard, you can roughly expect to get 30 to 50% of the fence life out of this style of fence that you would get from a typical post rail and picket fence uh, that you see all over suburbia. And again, if you're paying for that, you know, you're paying potentially as much or more for something that might not last as long. Um, so there's a trade-off to be made there. You know, it's it's a beautiful fence, so for some that's going to be worth it. But it's, uh, you know, it's purported not to last forever. Maybe that would be different in Wyoming with our dry airs. Uh, it might last a while, I don't know. But now if you must pay for fence insulation for whatever reason, there, again, might be a more cost-effective option, um, as this is a bit more of a specialized skill and a unique fence option, and uh, it could cost a little more per linear foot, especially in hard-to-dig soils due to the additional posts required for installation. You know, a, a lot of your picket fences, um, a contractor is more than happy to spend the extra time to dig holes for a, uh, a fence that, you know, is hard to dig, but He's digging posts, you know, eight to ten feet apart, and uh, for a willow fence, you might be going, you know, a foot and a half apart. So, a hundred plus feet of fence, uh, you're going to be getting quite a few posts in the ground, and it really starts to stack up labor costs pretty quick if it's tough to dig that soil. Uh, if your goal is to keep in large bulls or boars uh, or something that tends to test a fence, I tend to think that this type of fencing option would not provide enough structural support to hold such a large animal back. I could be wrong about that, and maybe uh, you know you could build it strong enough to do so, but I just, I'm skeptical. But anyway, um, there you go guys. I hope I gave you some ideas for utilizing trees and shrubs in the creation of fencing around your home or homestead for a variety of uses. Uh, you know, I ramble a little bit in these episodes, but I try to make it informative and valuable for you, so 
If you did like this episode or if you'd like to see more episodes like it, please leave a comment uh, on whatever platform you're listening. Subscribe to the blog. Tell your friends. You can also support us financially by making purchases through our Amazon affiliate link, as discussed above, or by purchasing products on our Zazzle or Redbubble stores. If you're local, support the farm, cackleberryfg.com. Um, there's going to be links available for you. And thank you so much for listening to the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast. I really appreciate uh, all of the following I have thus far and hope to continue to grow the show to serve you better and better as the time goes on. So with that, thanks again for listening to the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast. Now go on and grow on.